0: Hi howdy, Huda Thunkers. This is the host of the Hootah Thunket podcast, Zeb, coming at you with episode 174, titled Quezons. Welcome to uh, the Hootah Thunket podcast, Hootah Thunkers. Before we get into the caissons, let's do that recommendation segment where I recommend to you to check something out. This week, I recommend you take your time appreciating your infrastructure, such as bridges. That's right. This week's recommendation segment ties directly into the main event. Pittsburgh, my home, has about 446 bridges, which is more than Venice, Italy, the city known for being underwater. Today's topic focuses on the Brooklyn Bridge. It is located in New York City, and that city reportedly has about 789 bridges in total. Those bridges aren't just some simple thing. that are; They are marvels of engineering, hard work, and human accomplishment, and so I recommend that you appreciate them. Now, for the main event, caissons. What is a caisson? We'll talk about it. Have you ever walked past a bridge or pier and thought, you know, how the hell did they make this thing? I do that and I do it frequently. Engineering is uh, miraculous in its accomplishments. Today, engineers use all sorts of designs to lay the underwater foundation for structures like bridges. These are called caissons. And I do have um, diagrams on the blog if you want to see how they work. Um, It's quite Amazing. And I think with modern technology, they would be, you could see how it would get done. But considering that a lot of our bridges were built, you know, 100 plus years ago, at least the infrastructure, the towers for them were, uh, it's hard to imagine how they built that stuff. If you want to look it up, if you're, you don't feel like looking at the blog, that's fine. You want to Google Kason, Caisson, C A I S S O N. So if you want to look that up, Caisson. Now, um, and like I said, tons of pictures and uh, images and diagrams of how these things work, mo- both modern and back in like the 1800s. Let's talk about a bridge not made with modern engineering and technology, the Brooklyn Bridge. The Brooklyn Bridge was the longest suspension bridge in the world upon its completion in 1883 and remained so f- uh, so for the uh, next 20 years. It stretches just shy of 6,000 feet and to end and its uh, base 140 feet side to side. Designer John Roebling meant for the bridge's towers to be in its most conspicuous features, soaring 278 feet above the East River and weighing 140 million pounds each. They surely are. But in my opinion, the most interesting features are the caissons that sit below the tower and support towers and support much of the weight of the whole span. These caissons that sit as supports at the bottom of these behemoth towers are partially made of wood. Yeah, pretty crazy. In the early 1870s, two massive wooden boxes called caissons were sunk into the bottom of the East River. The French word caisson is derived from the Italian caisson and means a large box. The caissons were the first part of the bridge to be built. The idea was to flip the box over, pressurize it with air to force the water out, and sink it to the bottom of the river. (laughs) Pretty crazy. The mammoth boxes were built on land and slid into the river like a ship being launched into the water. The one closest to Brooklyn was 168 feet by 102 feet and 14 feet tall and weighed 6 million pounds. Nothing heavier had ever been launched before. They were built entirely of heavy oak and pine timbers bolted together, sealed to be airtight and sheathed in tin. The thickness measured 15 feet on the roof of one case on and 22 on the other. The density required to hold the millions of pounds of limestone and granite of the towers. The wood is still there. Turns out wood can last indefinitely when completely submerged. It becomes waterlogged, which uh, pushes out the oxygen in turn preventing the growth of microbes and causes uh, that they, they cause decay. So these things look like a building, they're huge. Um, like I said, let's go back here, 168 feet by 102 feet and 14 feet tall. They're massive boxes. Um, not to, in the beginning, I said big boxes They're I mean, they're basically buildings built out of logs. Now what's crazy is they sink them to the bottom of the river and put people down in them to work. Workers would enter inside these boxes beneath the river in order to build the Brooklyn Bridge Towers. With the caissons resting on the riverbed, men entered the pressurized interior through an airlock and began digging. They shoveled clay, rock, and boulders into pools at the bottom of two square muck tubes, that's what they called them, also called waste shafts, where it was clawed out by a ton-mounted derrick, dropping a clamshell bucket down the tube. So pretty simple. Put these guys down in a box they scoop all the stuff with shovels and pickaxes throw it in the middle in the middle they have this thing on a on a a pulley system that pulls all the crap that they're putting in there up and out of the water as men carved away the riverbed from underneath and masons built the tower atop it the caisson slowly sank the grueling work of excavating the mud and rock from inside the caisson was done by hundreds of low-paid laborers so i think it'd be amazing um, I doubt these guys, these very low-paid uh, immigrant workers who are, you know, risking their lives. I doubt they really cared, but I would want to look in there as, as an archaeologist. What are you going to find at the bottom of a river? How many people actually get to see the bottom of a river, um, like right in front of them? It's, it, it blows my mind how they were able to do this in the 1870s. <laughs> That's over 150 years ago. Water filled the muck tubes. You might wonder why the water doesn't flow back into the caisson below it stayed put because the pressure of the air in the caisson's interior pushed back against it at the same time the weight of the water pushes or pushed downward trapping the air in the caisson it was a delicate balance that had to be maintained if the volume of water suddenly decreased in the tubes there would not be enough weight to restrain the air in the caisson it would blow up and out depressurizing the caisson and possibly causing it to implode under the crushing weight of the tower. So this is insanely, insanely dangerous and they're doing it over 150 years ago, you know, before cars were a thing. The more the more mud they shoveled out, the deeper the caisson would sink. Life in the caissons were brutal and to most workers, it must have felt like Dante's Inferno. They endured arduous and hazardous labor in unbearable heat. In an episode known as The Great Blowout, the delicate balance of air pressure was disrupted and catastrophe almost struck very early on on a sunday morning when no one was in the case on the water level and one of their muck tubes uh, fell dangerously low during the working hours with the clamshell buckets uh, busily pulling soil up through the muck tubes sediment floated in the water That substantially substantially increased its weight. Men usually monitored the water levels and filled the muck tubes when necessary. On this calm morning, however, no one noticed that the level dropped. The clear water in the tube, its heavy silt settled to the pool below, lost its struggle to hold the air in the caisson and exploded out like a volcano. But the caisson did not crumble like its designer feared. Although it settled hard about 10 inches into the packed earth. Roebling's um, wooden box held the f- uh, falling weight of three or 35 million pounds. So that guy, Roebling, that built these things, damn good at his job. Saved the lives of many. Many workers experienced a mysterious illness when they worked in these caissons, which they called caisson disease, subjected the workers to paralysis and death. The cause of caisson's disease was unknown at the time, but we now know... It was the now common illness known to divers all over the world as the Benz. What is the Benz? I may have talked about it before um, when talking about uh, liquid oxygen that they try to do for deep diving. But anyway, the Benz decompression sickness, also called generalized barotrauma or the Benz, refers to injuries caused by a rapid decrease in the pressure that surrounds you of either air or water it occurs most commonly in scuba or deep sea divers although it also can occur during high altitude or unpressurized air travel bubbles forming in or near joints are the presumed cause of joint pain the bends Um, with high levels of bubbles, complex reactions can take place in the body. The spinal cord and brain are usually affected, causing numbness, paralysis, impaired coordination, and disorders of higher cerebral function, aka messing with your head. So what you usually do to do, I mean, this is super simplified. I'm not an expert. The, The bends is a complicated thing. And to combat it is, you know, do not take this as actual advice or anything. But how I understand it is, in order to combat the bends, instead of, Like when you go down, you're fine, all those bubbles form. But when you come back up, you wanna come up slowly. If you come up too fast, those bubbles try to get out real fast and they just start, like I said, barely understand this, but basically ripping your insides apart. Um, I might be uh, dramatizing uh, dramatizing that a bit. About one third of caisson workers experienced the bends, but they were quickly replaced with droves of migrant workers from Germany, Ireland, Italy, willing to work for just $2 a day. So these are horrible, horrible ways to die. Um, divers who, who suffer from the bends, not a good time. And if they died or got sick, whatever, I doubt there's any kind of care or anything. Um, Long term disability wasn't a thing. So they just were like, cool, you can't work, then get out and, you know, to die a horrible death. Eventually, the caissons reached a depth where the soil was dense enough to support the weight of the bridge. They were filled with concrete where they remain today inc- inconspicuously carrying the tens of millions of pounds of masonry, steel that stretches across the East River, and the more, and more than 100,000 cars, 4,000 cyclists, and 10,000 pedestrians across the bridge every day. So back in 1870, they laid, laid the foundations for these bad boys. Now, I would like to make a specific shout out. Uh, this was a bit of a lazy podcast. I did most of most of it reading someone else's blog. I did look into it myself. I watched videos and everything. But as far as typing it out, I did not type it in my. Uh, I didn't type it in my own language. Some of it I did, but most of it I didn't. You might notice I was stumbling over words here and there. It's because they weren't my own. I took it from from the public domain. It's a really cool website, really cool blog. I do um, suggest you check it out. I may be looking to to it for uh, um, uh, for research in the in the future. And I just want to give them a shout out because, like I said. <laughs> I read a lot of this at week's episode from this blog. It came out August 26, 2020, and the website is from thepublicdomain.com. and this article is uh, The Remarkable Wooden Foundation of the Brooklyn Bridge. Um, pretty awesome. I, I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. So, hope you enjoyed Hoot of Thunkers. Until next time, have a great week.